0: This is episode number 471 with Kirill Aramenko, the founder and CEO of Super Data Science. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is John Crone, a chief data scientist and best selling author on deep learning. Each week, we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build a successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. I'm your host, John Crone, And today we have a most special guest who will no doubt be well known to many of you. The one, the only Kirill Eremenko. Kirill created this very Super Data Science podcast and was host of the show from its first episode in 2016 through to episode 431 on December 31st, 2020. That's two episodes per week for over four years. A year prior to launching the Super Data Science podcast, Kirill founded the Super Data Science company, and he is the firm's CEO today. SuperdataScience.com, the namesake of this podcast, is a comprehensive online education platform for data science and related data specializations. Through the Superdata Science platform and his Udemy courses, Kirill has taught well over a million students worldwide, helping to skyrocket countless data science careers. In today's episode, we'll catch up with Kirill a bit on what he's been up to since I took over as host of the podcast in January. In particular, we'll be focused on the curriculum Kirill has been cooking up for you that allows people to land their first data science job in 99 days. We'll describe all of the content packed into the 99-day curriculum, as well as options for slowing the curriculum down, if you like, and completing it in longer time frames. Kirill will also detail for us the five myths underpinning people's misguided beliefs that a data science career is unobtainable for them, and the five items you need to land a data science job even if you have no prior work experience in the field. As the content I just ran through suggests, today's episode will appeal primarily to folks who aren't yet data scientists but are interested in becoming a data scientist or a related data professional, such as a data analyst, a software engineer, an AI expert, or a business intelligence expert. More broadly, the episode will be of interest to anyone who'd like to hear what Kirill's been up to the past few months, as well as anyone who loves learning about the psychology of big career decisions, something that impacts each and every one of us. All right, you ready for this momentous occasion? Let's welcome Kirill back to his podcast. All right, everyone. Uh, we have a very special guest here. What's his name again? Oh, yes, <laughs> Kirill Aramenko, the host of the Super Data Science Podcast. Welcome back to your show, Kirill.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you, John. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, well, this is now your show, <laughs> and uh, thank you for having me. It's it's a strange experience, but it's like feeling of being here as a guest, but it's fun.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And we have a great episode lined up for today. I can't wait to talk about the topics coming up, 99 days to being a data scientist. But first, I'm sure the audience would love to hear what's going on in your life. Where in the world are you? Um, I'm in
1: Gold Coast, uh, Australia. It's a city about 100 kilometers south of Brisbane, quite a big city. Uh, It's got lots of suburbs. I'm in one of them. And yeah, just spending time here with family.
0: That sounds really nice, especially, you know, with the pandemic and stuff, to be able to be near your family. That's a nice thing to be able to do. Uh, yeah. So what have you been up to with all the spare time that you have now that you're not hosting <laughs> the Super Data Science Show? That's a good question. I was thinking about that
1: um, earlier. Uh, nothing really uh, huge, just uh, trying to run um, the businesses and um, stuff. Help uh, our management teams to improve them and uh, help people around the world, so nothing really specific stands out. Um, maybe I've been dedicating a bit more time to um, trying to improve myself and um, be like connect with parts of myself that I have neglected before, like the emotional side of of me the Um, you know, the less analytical, structured uh, part of my brain or my being. And it's been really tough. (laughs) It's been a really tough uh, journey to unlock those parts of myself.
0: Super interesting. Maybe we can dig into that at some point in the episode, or it might come up organically.
1: Um,
0: So was it along this journey that you came up with the idea that a data scientist uh, could be formed in 99 days alone? Like, I think that this is a really revolutionary idea, and I'm interested in how it even came about. So as soon as you explained to me that you were doing this talk at Data Science Go on 99 days to landing your first that data That was at ODSC. Job, oh, is it an ODSC? Yeah, yeah, the wow.
1: same conference you were talking Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. haven't done this talk at Data Science Go yet.
0: Oh, man, <laughs> uh, I just assumed for sure. Oh, that's even yeah. cooler. At ODSE Europe, ODSE East? The same one you were at. Um, ODSE East. 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 Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Wow. I don't yeah. know how I missed that specific detail. Um,
1: um, I usually talk at Data Science Go. I guess that's. Uh, yeah.
0: I that's guess I just I guess. assumed. But yeah. regardless where you did the talk, you did a talk on becoming a data scientist in 99 days. And the Super Data Science uh, platform now has. Mm-hmm. A track that allows people to follow a curated curriculum that allows yep. them through specific coursework, specific projects to become a data scientist in as little as 99 days. And I think I was about to say this a few minutes ago that it's a revolutionary idea. And as soon as you mentioned it to me, it was so obvious because I do believe that it's true. Um, mm-hmm. but, I'd never, but I never, but I would often think, oh, you're going to need months or years. But in a lot of cases, you could, if you dedicate yourself, become a data scientist in 99 days. So how did it come about? Um,
1: so oh, randomly, by accident, um, I needed to prepare a talk for ODSC because they reached <laughs> out and said, can you come to a talk? And I was like, what should I talk about? And they gave like a few uh, ideas for topics and um, the things that related to me the most and that I, I love the most were... Um, about careers and helping people either switch careers or get started in data science. And um, one of them was like, how to get your first job in data science. And I thought, okay, how can we make, uh, how can we make this more fun and like challenging? And like, what, what can we do uh, um, about this? And then um, at the time, our team at super data science, so we've got a, um, Product architect and a, a data analyst who are working together to create um, different learning paths, and they were working on this learning path, um, and I was—it uh, was my job to review the courses that they put into the learning path, the sequence, you know, the extra materials, and it just happened; these two things um, were happening at the same time, and. Um, by looking at it, I was like, "Oh, this is very interesting." Because they had like days—the number of days they uh, thought that a person would need to to complete this—and I don't remember exactly, but in in their interpretation, it was like six or seven weeks. Uh, was it six or seven? Seven times seven times seven? No, no, it's like seventeen weeks or fifteen weeks or something like you know four or five months to complete this. I was like, "Oh, that's really cool." So. Um, I went through that and I saw, okay, for instance, like this whole section is not really relevant on, um, specific type of business analytics. It's more of an application of data science rather than a, uh, fundamental data science type that you need to know. So I thought, okay, so if we throw that out, this can adjust and so on. And it kind of came down to like 115 days. And I thought, that's that's not clickbaity enough, you know. It's gotta be <laughs> it's gotta be something really cool. And I thought, okay, how can we restructure this a bit more? And I thought that okay, if somebody really pushes themselves, like so the ninety-nine days, it's not for everyone. It's like for if you'll imagine the bell curve, it's for the people that really push themselves, like the the people like one standard deviation away from them. And you can get a you know, data science job following this path probably in, you know, three months, six months. Um Oh, uh, well, so three months is 99 days. like six months, maybe a year. Uh, but the more you push yourself, the faster. And I thought, okay, 99 days, if you do like the first five, uh, you know, first like week or so, um, actually I have it somewhere here. Um, the first couple of um, days or w- a week you do, let me check it here. So uh, you do like an introduction to data science, like your first week, like get an overview of some of the topics. Um, then you do basics of visualization for two weeks. Then you do coding for data analysis for two weeks. You do SQL and databases for two weeks. You do applied business analytics. That's more like um, um, statistics in data science for a week. You do intram- to machine learning for a week. So that's your core. And that's already nine weeks. Then you have like a catch-up week for ten uh, week 10. And then weeks 11, 12, and 13, you specialize. you either machine learning, data si- data visualization, or data wrangling. And then you have another catch-up week just to you know have a buffer to catch up. And then that brings it to 14 weeks. 14 times seven um is what ninety uh, ninety-eight, right? So twenty-eight plus seventy, ninety-eight. And so the last day, ninety-nine, is celebration day because that's oh, when you land the so, nice. job. And the interesting thing about this is you not only um go through this and learn the the Content and you know data science, but in the in parallel you got to be doing software career. You know networking, putting content out there, reaching out to people, reaching out to recruiters. Um, so if you do those in parallel, we believe, and this is uh, just for everyone out there. The caveat is that this is a hypothesis. Right, we have a hypothesis that you, it can be done in ninety nine days. Uh, we have success stories of students who have gotten jobs in data science based on um, you know our courses and other things. Uh, but we don't have like somebody who's done it in specifically 99 days, we've launched this challenge and we have a cohort of people who are participating in it. So there's about just under a hundred people, I think around 80 people who've, uh, taken the challenge and about 16 people who we are actually tracking how they're going through the challenge so that by the end of it, by the end of this first cohort, we have a success story or some success stories like proof that it can be done in 90 day- days. But if anybody already wants to participate, the challenge is open. It's free uh, to take part in. Uh, you can find it at superdatascience.com slash challenge. And there you get what you actually get with this challenge is you get a um, uh, massive, I think it's like 30-page 30, <coughs> thirty page learning guide, you know, step-by-step step, what you need to do every single week. And if you follow it, if you get a job in 99 days, you know, of course, uh, share that on social media that you're participating. I think the hashtag is SDS99. Uh, but otherwise uh, just tell us, you know, email um, support at science.com and we'd love to share your story.
0: That sounds really cool. So do you imagine this is something that people can do while they have a job or is this something you need to do full time? The way it's structured is
1: it's only a few. It's like, I think one or two might be another one to be misinterpreting here, but I think it's like two, one or two or three hours a day. Oh. So if you can fit that in with your job, especially with working from home, and maybe if your job is, if if your job, if you're going to be at the same job, or if you already have a job, and you're going to be at the same company, maybe the company will be happy for you to yeah, spend the yeah, time yeah. or if not, you know, like, if you really want something, that's, that's the the, the reason I was saying, like, it's not for everyone, it's for, for people who will dedicate themselves a lot, like, if you really, really want something. You're going to find a way, you know, you're going to wake up an hour earlier and go to sleep an hour later, some, some way, or do it during your lunchtime. There has to be a way to make it happen.
0: Speaking from personal experience, it's hard to imagine a career that you could be more excited about and want to pursue with that level of passion. I, I'm not being sarcastic. Like data science is such an exciting job full of new challenges and new things to learn every day. And yeah, if, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprising to me if lots of people can even see that from a distance and say, I can tell that that's going to be incredible and, uh, be passionate about pursuing this for 99 days. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: It's, um, it's totally worth it. And and of course it has to be something that you want, but we can assume it's something you want if you're listening to, to this podcast.
0: All right. This episode is brought to you by Super Data Science, yes, our online membership platform for transitioning into data science, and the namesake of the podcast itself. In the Super Data Science platform, we recently launched our new 99-day data scientist study plan, a cheat sheet with week-by-week instructions to get you started as a data scientist in as few as 15 weeks. Each week, you complete tasks in four categories. The first is super data science courses to become familiar with the technical foundations of data science. The second is hands-on projects to fill up your portfolio and showcase your knowledge in your job applications. The third is a career toolkit with actions to help you stand out in your job hunting. And the fourth is additional curated resources such as articles, books, and podcasts to expand your learning and stay up to date. To devise this curriculum, we sat down with some of the best data scientists as well as many of our most successful students and came up with the ideal 99-day data scientist study plan to teach you everything you need to succeed so you can skip the planning and simply focus on learning. We believe the program can be completed in 99 days and we challenge you to do it. Are you ready? Go to superdatascience.com challenge, download the 99-day study plan and use it with your Super Data Science subscription to get started as a data scientist in under 100 days. And now, let's get back to this amazing episode. So perfect segue here. I hear that you have a list of five reasons why people might think that pursuing a data science career is impossible. So the kinds of things that would come up in people's minds that they think, no, I couldn't do this in a year. I couldn't do it in two years. I couldn't do it in 99 days. Um, Yeah, you're the master. What are these things? (laughs) <laughs> I wonder how you know I have this list, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> uh, Yeah. Um,
1: a lot of and things happen before the scenes, behind the scenes, before the podcast starts. I we? Inst- we had an, an hour chat yeah. before we started.
0: I installed spyware on your computer.
1: There's <laughs> uh, nothing to spy on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's really, really boring. You just create uh, data science videos all day.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's one thing I have been doing more of. I've been doing more of... Um, Webinars, you know, like I think this year I've done the talk, and I think I've done like two webinars, and I'm planning on doing a third one soon. So I I enjoy that. That's like it's always hard to get started, you know, like oh, like it's uh, putting together a good webinar for people to follow along and enjoy, and also like the first webinar I did this year supposed to be one and a half hours went for three. Oh, that always. Oh, that is too much. You know, I was tired then, and everybody was
0: tired. That always happens to me.
1: Yeah. So. It's it's like an art to do it, but then once you get started, it's so much fun and and it's enjoyable seeing everybody um, join uh, tune in and listen in. Uh, Quick
0: quickly before we get to the five myths, what were the other webinars on? Um,
1: Mostly on Tableau. So one was like um, one was (laughs) how to land your first job in tableau in 50 days I
0: think. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
1: Uh, yeah because like the reason why it's shorter is because and the reason like that was also a good template for me for this talk uh, because i thought all right if somebody can land a job in tableau in 50 days based on that webinar I prepared um it's also to do with certification. That uh, like we have this course where in thirty days you you can get certified with Tableau. And certification really helps you land a job because um, it's like it gives you recognition. Um, and I thought, okay, if somebody can land a job in fifty days with Tableau, which is a visualization tool, how long would it take in data science? And the difference is that somebody studying Tableau already knows about data science, already mm-hmm. has done like kind of the fundamentals, and understands that machine learning is probably not for them data preparation or data wrangling is not for them all this other stuff is not maybe it is not what interests them the most but data visualization is what they want so they very they already have a head start in terms of uh, the overview of data science understanding what they want you know because a big part of this challenge is data science is big you can't specialize in everything you have to choose a specialization pathway so the the first couple of weeks are helping you understand you know get a feel for all these different parts of data science and understanding what you want And I, and that's why I reckon like, okay, if we can help somebody land a job in Tableau in 50 days, data science is going to take a bit longer I think we can get it done in 99. Cool. So yeah, that was, that was one of them. The other one was also on Tableau, but it, this one was shorter. um, And I think it was also like, I think it was myths, myths, why people can't get into Tableau or something, something along those lines
0: are yeah. those on YouTube? Can people watch these?
1: I'm not sure. Um that's uh maybe maybe no, I don't think those are on YouTube unfortunately. No. Yeah, that the team needed them for something else.
0: All right. Well, uh let's jump into uh let's jump into these myths. We've talked about them. I'd love to hear more about them. The uh five okay. myths that make people think data science is impossible to get into today.
1: Okay, awesome. So, career limiting myth number 1, uh, is I've missed the train, data science is no longer sexy. I remember that article, 2012, uh, Tom Davenport, DJ Patel, data science, sexiest job of the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's when, like, I think data science was coined in 2010 or somewhere around there. 2012, that article came out, so things like started uh, going really well for data science, especially after that. And then 2015, 17, that's when data science really peaked. That's when we saw the highest enrollments ever into our courses on udemy uh highest interest everybody was like data science is the hot thing we're in 2021 now and maybe this has tempered off you know tapered off like maybe this is no longer the thing because it's been over 10 years since data science started as a profession it's been almost 10 years since the article has been five or four years since the peak of the uh popularity of data science so Maybe it's it's kind of tapered off and it's gonna die off completely. So that's the first thing you gotta answer for yourself before getting into this uh profession, because there's a saying, a rising tide lifts all boats, a falling tide makes all boats fall. Like so even if you know in uh, somewhere in a in a specific company data science is, is on the rise, if overall in the whole of the world data science is um dying away, what's the point? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, what I did to disprove that myth, um, look, I looked at uh, the uh, Glassdoor is gla- the Glassdoor best jobs in America. Um, and Glassdoor is a website that you know, posts careers and you can post reviews of your career and so on. And so they have this list of best jobs in America. Um, it actually started in 2016. Um, and they measure three things. So median base salary, job satisfaction, and job openings. I think in 2016, the the job satisfaction was something else, some other metric, but then they changed it to job satisfaction. Um, and uh, check this out. So in 2016, it was the no- number one job in the whole of America, data scientist. No, uh, 2017, data scientist. No, no surprise, right? Because it was the peak of popularity. 2018, data scientist. 2019, <laughs> data scientist. 2020, data scientist drops to third place after front-end engineer and Java developer and 2021. So this is like data for the previous year obviously like mm-hmm. it comes out at the start of 2021 and they use data for the past year. So in 2021, uh data scientists went back up to the second place. There you so go. So it's been in the top 3 for the past what six, six seven years. Um that's already good evidence. And then just to uh top it up, I looked at uh a LinkedIn report called the 2020 Emerging Jobs Report. Where where better to look than uh a place where everybody posts about their jobs uh so this emerging jobs report what they did is the methodology of how they created it is uh they took people who've had who've been in the workforce for the past five years so you, to qualify for this analysis it, like they basically just trail troll through the data <laughs> they're gonna ask you <laughs> they're just looking through their data but uh they only pick people who've uh had a full-time job for the five past five years and they looked at the changes of titles. Now, how many people changed their title from X to data scientist? How many people changed their title from X to AI specialist? And so on, or whatever. Um, or, I don't know, um, auditor or accountant, and so on. And uh, the top, as that's how I understand it. Please check the 2020 Emerging Jobs Report by LinkedIn to make sure my interpretation is correct. Um, the top job, um in 2020, according to this methodology, was artificial intelligence specialist um, it grew by uh seventy four percent so seventy four percent more people got the AI title compared to people before they before yeah. the start of the AI
0: and I mean that's a data scientist
1: <laughs> yeah that is a type of data science finally really? if uh, finally second one is robotics engineer forty percent and The funny thing about this is uh, (laughs) I looked at the report and you will see like a photo on the report, like a stock photo of this guy, like uh, two people standing in front of a robot and they're like trying to adjust it or understand it like on this table and they're like ones like this, like, you know, propping his head. The other one's like showing him something. And then I like, I look at the descriptions and it's like um, process automation, UI path, automation anywhere, you know, like all this a robotics process automation software, not robotics engineering. So right. um, I think they got the picture wrong. And I think they also right. got the title wrong because right. the description, except for one word or like w- like one uh, subtitle in that description, the rest of them are all to do with RPA, like uh, you know, automating yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, high volume uh, rudimentary tasks in a business. Nothing to do with physical robots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a data scientist. That's also a data scientist. In my view, that's a RPA is a type of AI, very basic, trivial type of AI, but it's still got to do a lot with data, understanding processes um, and automating them. And then finally, third place, data scientist with a 37% uh, growth rate. So whichever way you look at it, either one of the top three is data scientists or all of the top three are data scientists, but this profession is on the rise.
0: The other key thing there is, for sure, that third category, the the third, the actual data scientist one, mm-hmm. that one has a much bigger starting base than the other two, for sure. Like I, mm-hmm. without like I know from knowing the market that those mm-hmm. first two AI specialist and RPA specialist, those are it's a much smaller. So like you know, there's probably at least ten times as many people. Maybe it could be a hundred times as many people with the title data scientist relative to those first two. So even though percentage-wise, it isn't as big of a growth, in terms of the total volume, it'd be huge. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a very good point. Um, I think
1: with that's enough stats to consider this myth busted.
0: Well, it's busted for sure. And I mean, there's lots of other things. There's like, I was just reading yesterday that there's over 400,000 open data scientist jobs in the US. Like, you know, it's, yeah. Crazy. Definitely crazy. Definitely
1: still sexy <laughs> still sexy all uh, right what's number two number two is um <clears throat> a common myth or a common belief that I can't get a job because I don't have any experience have you Have you heard this myth?
0: Yeah, I mean it's a classic circular uh chicken egg job issue <laughs> yeah, but yeah. uh yeah, and you definitely hear this, and I've had people. I've had students who have taken courses of mine in person or online who say, you know, I've been looking for two years to get into data science, but no one will hire me as a data scientist because I don't have data scientists on my resume. But mm-hmm. I mean, I already know this is a myth, but I'm not going to spoil it. So please tell us. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. So the way I approached these next three myths was um,
1: by looking at uh, examples of, Uh, people who've come on the podcast on this podcast previously, so when I was hosting it, uh, people I've interviewed and I went through a lot of uh, potential candidates for this, I knew I I only had 30 minutes for this talk so I couldn't um, include everybody and there were some really cool stories but I had to pick just one per myth Um, and um, picked one that uh, I guess resonated with me the most Uh, And for this first myth, uh, we've got the story of Nicholas Cepeda. If you haven't heard his podcast, it's episode 41. It's called An Inspiring Journey from a Totally Different Background to Data Science. Um, And Nick's story is, he started off, um, what did he do? So he worked as a business intelligence intern just for three months in 2016. Um, And prior to that, He was in the United States, Marine Corps, uh, where he served for four years in aviation supply. And uh, he was, I think, running some basic SQL queries um, in terms to get uh, uh, numbers of stock or something like that. But in his own words, he said, I don't really have that analytic experience. And most of my experience comes from data science courses, college, business intelligence courses in Udemy. So no experience, like apart from the three months internship as a business uh, intelligence intern, no experience um, in data center And he goes and applies for a job at the Walt Disney Company as a data scientist or data analyst in marketing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, what does he have to show for it? Right, like he doesn't have the experience. Like, wouldn't you just like turn him around if you're the hiring manager? Um, but he's taken quite a few courses. Um, on data science. So he took our course on our programming, um, advanced one. He took a big data and Hadoop developer course. He took our Tableau advanced course, our Tableau 10 course, our machine learning a to z course, and a course uh, from Dell on data science and big data analytics. And so when he rocks up to this interview, and you can hear him talk about it on the podcast, um, they ask him to talk about like, um, okay, I don't remember exactly what the question was, um, but basically... Uh, he ended up talking about a case study that we did in one of the Tableau courses on uh, this company, this imagined imagine company that washes your laundry, takes picks up your laundry, goes away, washes it, brings it back the next day and how they needed to expand their operations in the US and they had these two markets and he needed to do clustering. So he did clustering in our course in Tableau, not even in in Python or machine learning, but in Tableau. And he explained his experience from the course. He's like, oh, so there was this company. Uh, it's like a it's a mock company, uh, but nevertheless, uh, we needed to find what kind of three uh, markets in the US that they hold. And there was nothing, you know, no prescribed markets to look at. So we had to do clustering and this is how it worked. We put these trend lines and so on and so, so on. And in his own words, he said, uh, he mentioned that project and it sounded like her eyes lit up, like the hiring manager that was interviewing him like was like very excited because that exact thing could be applied to what they needed in the company. And then the second thing was they asked him about like, oh, can you deal with real world data with messy data and so on? Because that's a good point. Mm-hmm. In courses, often you get sanitized, nice and pretty data so you can just follow the steps and get everything working. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a course, uh, on advanced, I think on advanced, our, yeah, advanced our programming, where we spend quite a bit of time on uh, messy data preparation. That's what one of the, um, focuses of several of our courses. And yeah, he told them that, and he told, so here's a quote from him. He told them, uh, I told them that 70% of time is spent on creating strategy on how I'm going to prep and clean the data. So he already had that experience that 70% of the time of a data scientist is data prep. Uh, and he told him about the median imputation methods, you know, like, uh, averaging things or, um, other approaches that you can uh, take for missing, corrupt, messy data and how to deal with it again, something he just learned from a course. Right. And, um, as a result of like an interview like this, that is based on his experience from case studies, from, uh, from courses, mm-hmm. he landed the job. So he's been, uh, at Walt Disney company. It was funny because like at, during the podcast, he couldn't. Say the name of the company because he hadn't landed no, it yet. Funny. But just before it went out, he emailed me and said, "Hey, can you add us in the intro?" And I did add it in the intro because he landed the job. And he's been there for three years, ten months. He started as um, uh, started in advanced analytics and optimization, and recently he or, well, not recently. That was five months. Then he was a senior marketing insights analyst, and I think he actually um, maybe even got went higher in his career at Walt Disney uh, recently. The moral of this, I guess, is that um, recruiters, hiring managers, they don't really care about your work experience. What they care about is your capacity to deliver on uh, the projects that they have. And work experience is a proxy for evidence of that capacity. So if you have work experience, like three, five years, they can kind of say, oh, yeah, well, he that person probably knows what they're doing, probably can deliver. They have the the capacity to deliver. But if you can illustrate this capacity in whatever other way, as a hiring manager, why would I care? Like, why would I care if you have zero years of experience or 50 years of experience, if that's even possible? If you can deliver on the needs that my business has, you just need to be able to demonstrate that and thereby work experience, not really uh, an absolute requirement.
0: A hundred percent. And yeah, I I thought you might go down the route of saying, and this is related, is maybe your first job in the field isn't going to be with a title data scientist. And that's, mm. that's another like, so this person was already working for a few months in business intelligence. So that's often more of like it's that can be a stepping stone to a data science career. Um, yep. And
1: we'll talk about that in the
0: fifth myth. That's what Ooh, that's the. Yeah, right. we'll get there. Nice. All right. Well, what's the third myth?
1: Okay. Third myth is I have the wrong background. Heard that one before?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Then people will. Like I
1: studied arts or I studied psychology or whatever else. Totally. How can I get into data science? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, here, uh, again, plenty of examples on the podcast uh, of people who've come into data science, specifically from those things, from psychology. I talked to somebody in Switzerland uh, who study psychology then came into data science in san diego i met a lady who was uh, in um, like uh, in some arts background and uh, i think writing or uh, maybe even uh, theater or something like that and she wanted to get into data science and we came up with some ideas of what what values she can bring to the field and um, this specific example I used uh, in this myth uh, is the story of Ayodela Odobella.
0: Oh, no uh, way.
1: You met her, right? Yeah,
0: she was on an episode really recently. Um, I'm looking up the number right now, but you can talk and I'll I'll mention it in a second.
1: Yeah, yeah. So she, the first time she was on the podcast was episode 297. And the title is Fortune and Passion in the Data Science Journey. And Ayodela's story is super interesting um, because... She actually studied, I don't know if you talked about this before in the episode that you recorded, but she studied uh, an uh, associate of arts in uh, radio, TV, and film. And then after that, she went and did a bachelor's, a bachelor of arts, again, in media and professional communications. And check this out. These are the titles of uh, some of, I went on to the University of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, website to just look at. Okay, what do people study in this in this program in this course? Here are some of the titles from the course. Uh, these are subjects that people study: uh, organizational psychology, audio storytelling, for photography, communication, fundamentals of filmmaking. Like, how much further away from data science can it get?
0: Yeah, except for obviously the need to be able to communicate data effectively, which is a yeah. hugely yeah. valuable skill. Which sometimes people think of as like an add-on. But it's a critical thing to being. And in fact, um, a very recent episode. So, uh, first, Ayodhya was most recently on the show for episode 449. And uh, we primarily talked about AI ethics. So, we didn't talk too much about her background, but we talked about ethical issues with uh, uh, machine learning software. And something that totally blew my mind that I hadn't thought about at all up until that episode, but have now read a lot about is um, how hardware that collects data is also often very biased. Anyway, so it was an episode of AI ethics. Yeah, so for example, I was reading uh, just this past weekend, I was reading in The Economist how, I can't remember what the, oh, pulse oximeter is the name of the device. So it's a device that measures your your blood pressure. You just wear it on your fingertip, and it was designed...
1: the one that you they use in like hospitals.
0: They use in hospitals, and so it's like to quickly get you, get you a sense of okay, how oxygenated is the blood? And so, for example, yeah. in COVID, having um, below normal blood oxygenation levels, it could indicate that you need to stay in the hospital as opposed to go home. Yeah. And these devices are designed by teams that are that consist almost entirely of white men, so they don't uh-huh. work as well on women because they don't fit properly. So light yeah. gets in. And so you can get uh, bad readings. And so basically people who should be staying in hospital um, don't stay in hospital. And then same thing, people, the darker your skin color is, there's also higher error rates. And so um, a African-American person with the same uh, blood oxygenation level as a white person, the African-American person could get sent home while Uh the white person... Stays in hospital because of an erroneous reading, and so this is something that wow. we know has been happening through the COVID pandemic and is related to hardware issues. So, anyway, so that's it. so it was a really interesting episode on AI ethics, and I learned a ton. And actually, that was we selected that as the episode of the month for March. Wow. Um, and then on the later point, you were talking. So the point of communication is, as I'm sure you also did, a question that we often ask guests on, guests on the show is, what do you look for in people you hire? And there's two things that come up all the time. The first one is communication, and the second one is the ability to learn. And basically, and, and sometimes those are the only two that people mention. It's like those are the things that you're looking for people you hire because data science is such a quick moving field um, that you know that's those are really the key things. Anyway, so did a big uh, episode on that recently, a five minute Friday uh, episode 466 on good versus great data scientists. And we talk a lot about um, communication. So anyway, so all going back to uh, Ayodele, uh hmm. studying this this course, which I'm sure is hugely, like, her, her background maybe, yeah, so people, I guess, don't think about it as a quantitative discipline and being directly relevant to data science. But in fact, you know, all kinds of backgrounds can have, can be hugely beneficial, like a communication uh, background in data science.
1: Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that point because I, I agree that, whatever background you're coming from, there's something that you've learned. There's certain things that you're good at that will already benefit you. You might not even know what exactly it is. It might be some business skills. It might be some accounting. It might be some communication. It might be some creativity even. It will come up sooner or later. So you will, uh, even if it doesn't help you get into the job at the start, eventually it'll come up as a like as a superpower, as like a secret weapon that you have and that you're going to be using to your advantage. Um, okay, so Ayodele's story. Um, in her own words, when she was taking uh, this uh, course at the University of Pittsburgh, uh, there was one class on computer science and she actually, um, I think she stopped taking that or changed that that track of a course because she didn't like the computer side, science side of things um and then after uh, working at uh after uh, her uni degree uh she got into uh by way of chance of her uh, profession like she got into marketing at first but then she ended up uh, doing a lot of data work in marketing uh, and she was a senior data analyst at u lotto and at, at uh, um, basically performing analytics tasks there and she Mentioned that she leveraged SQL to analyze behaviors. She performed A/B tests. She saw where the market was moving, like the data science market. and decided to follow it, and she enjoyed it. And so, only after that did she enroll in the Masters uh, of Data Science. And uh, since that first job as a senior data analyst, she's had a job as a director of machine learning, a data scientist, uh, data science at another company, a part-time machine learning instructor on LinkedIn, and she's now a data science evangelist. So. Very interesting in the sense of how somebody from an arts background, you know, like, is able to land a job in data science, and then not only that, but also skyrocket their career from there. And I think she's like writing a book now, right, or or publishing a
0: book. Yeah. So exactly to your point, talking about things like your communication education background being allowing you to have a superpower once you've started to become a data scientist. Now that Iodella is in that data science evangelist role. She's mm. really taking advantage of that strong communication background. And you know, you can tell from these episodes that she's done. She's an unbelievably clear communicator. She comes up with so many examples right off the cuff. It's incredible. And so she she gets to be in this job now where she still has to be a data science expert. And she's constantly learning new data science techniques. And she's talking to prospective clients, prospective users, and showing them how they can be integrating those approaches into what they're doing with Common ML. Super cool job. And yes, exactly. So she has she self published this year a book on getting started in data science, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't I don't know what combination of things, but um, she has now landed a book deal with Wiley, one of the biggest wow. publishers in the space. Um, and that is a book on uh, ethics in data science. Okay. Wow. Very cool. Such a story, right?
1: Like going from I don't really like the machine, the the Uh, what's it called the computer science side of things to I'm now publishing books on data science. It's, it's incredible. I think
0: another cool thing is if listeners want to meet Ayodella, you can meet her on any Sunday that you want because she hosts office hours with Harpreet Sahota, who was also on a recent episode on episode four, five, seven. So Harpreet and Ayodella co-host office hours on Sundays. Um, You can find out about it on LinkedIn uh, through their profiles, and so they host. The, you can just they're just office hours. You can just show up and ask career questions or data science questions or whatever, and they and other people will answer the questions. So, cool thing.
1: That's really cool. Uh, a few people have um, uh, attempted office hours, regular office hours in data science. I remember Randy Lau, I think, um, and Fabio Vasquez, or maybe K- Kristin Kerrer and Fabio Vasquez were doing. Uh, office hours like a few years ago maybe two or three years ago um and so that's that is i think a very cool addition to the community it's hard though you know it's hard to keep this regular schedule as you would know with the podcast you know like every week you need to record an episode and um hopefully hopefully uh, harpreet sahota and adela will be able to uh keep it all up for as long as they can to help as many people so i would if i'm if you're listening to this i would jump on this and take advantage of it. Anything like that um, might not last very long. Hopefully it will, but might not. So uh, if you can now, uh, attend those office hours and, and see what value you can get, what
0: questions you can ask. Yeah, I would say one of the biggest risks to it continuing isn't their dedication to doing it, but is that their careers blow up so much that like other opportunities yeah. come up.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly the thing. Yeah. That's um, So yeah, jump on the, on the train while you
0: can. Anyway, so yeah, so that's myth number three dispelled, not having the right background. Absolutely. What's number four? Okay,
1: no, number four, online learning is not official. I'm doing floating quotation marks. <laughs> uh, it's not official enough. Um, uh, that's a common myth about, oh, well, you know, I need to go and uh, like either work in data science or do a master's in data science or some other degree or something like that. Um, in order to get uh, my first job and to learn, or in order to land a first job. There's nothing wrong with doing a master's in data science. It's just not a prerequisite for you to land first job. You don't need a PhD or any kind of real world, uh, in-person type of degree uh, when you can, there's other ways of doing. It. So example, um, Sean Casey, uh, episode 383, uh, you're not an imposter, you're learning data science journeys. Very interesting because... The way I met Sean was at uh, one of our Data Science Go events. I think it was last. It was our first Data Science Go virtual. It was in uh, July, June or July 2020. And we have this feature, uh, which you might know, where you click a button and you get to meet a random person from the world. Have you tried? Have you tried that?
0: I I haven't. I, I, you know, I feel I feel bad that I haven't. I feel like I should have done it.
1: You should try. It's so much fun. Like I love doing it. I didn't do it this, uh, this time around because the event was like at 4am for me in Australia time. But whenever I can, I, I try, I try it out. And like, you just click a button and you get me meet around in person for five minutes, you chat and then boom, another person from anywhere in the world. And so I got, con- I got connected with Sean uh, Casey. And I don't know, I remember at the time where he was either. Uh, Dubai, because he lived for a long time there, or he was already back in Ireland. Um, And we just basically connected for, uh, we're supposed to be five minutes, but it was like 30 seconds before the connection cut out. Um, And uh, he started telling me his story. And uh, then he later, I think I reached out to him on LinkedIn, because you can also get your LinkedIn details of each other. And then I asked him to send me his story by email. and He sent it to me, sent me a huge email. I was like wow, this is so cool. So I invited him to the podcast, and it was really interesting. So his story goes as follows: He finished uh, a bachelor degree in mathematics and computer science in 2005. So this might be a weird start, right? Like we're talking about not having like that um, online learning is not official enough, and and the, the example we're looking at is somebody who did a real world bachelor's degree in computer science. So what the heck are you talking about, Kirill? The thing is that was back in 2005. So that was like ye- years ago, um long time ago in and Fortran he, <laughs> Fortran, yeah. And he he himself told me that uh uh the things that later he needed to do in his data science career and that were required in this uh in like the job application not not what he studied in in that degree and you know a lot of time had it passed it's not relevant. And moreover to illustrate what he was doing afterwards uh, that the time had passed, was uh, after that, he went and taught mathematics and the, became mathematics and computer science teacher at an educational system in uh, the UAE. As I understand, it was for like a primary school or high school kids, you know, like not universities, like um, schools. Uh, then he was a, another, a teacher at another school. Then he was a uh, mathematics teacher at a higher colleges, um, another kind of school, I guess. Uh, so that he did that for five years and then he was a senior educational consultant for eight years. So fi- in 2005, he does this degree in uh, Mathematics and Computer Science, which is quite outdated. Then 13 years, he spends in the education industry and then somebody, his friend, tells him about data science um, and he's like, oh, maybe I should check it out. And he's like, how do I get into this field? You know, to your point, like I have a full-time job in education. I can't go and study uh, data a data science master's or anything. So he signs up to Uh, courses online and he does like I have a slide uh, here which we can't share because this um, tool (laughs) doesn't have screen sharing but and you won't be able to hear in the audio anyway but the point is in this slide I have a screenshot of his LinkedIn and he has taken four four courses on Udemy about data science five courses on edX and eight courses on data camp right so that's 17 courses on this and these are big courses you know some of them uh, machine learning, um, Python, R programming, uh, dashboards, like s- substantial investment of time. And the way he did it, he said he, he was driving to work in Dubai. Uh, he was listening to the course on his phone. You imagine like listening to a Python programming <laughs> like what? <laughs> and then on the way back, he was listening to it again. And when he got home, he would um, redo that same tutorial. But like in, now he had heard it, he already knew what to look out for. And he did that. That's what I call dedication, right? You find time driving to work to listen to a video course. Of course, he wasn't watching the videos, just listening to it. um, So that you can do it more efficiently and, you know, get more value out of it for yourself when you're at home. You know, people who, yeah, who want to really want to get a career, find find ways. Um, Anyway, so he did that. And eventually... Uh, he was able to in two thousand eighteen land a job as senior researcher insights and and analytics. Then he progressed to manager of data and analytics in two thousand nineteen, and now he is a data and analytics principal consultant uh, in transfer of some division called transformation services. So yeah, totally possible. You don't need to um, have a uh, like official degree uh, just to. Um, to for like for full disclosure, after this, after he's landed a job, after he's um in the in the space of data science, then he decided to okay, now I'm going to go do a master's in data science. But the point is, I think he's still doing it now. I don't know if he's uh, continuing it or not. But the point is, um, it's not a prerequisite, right? With online learning, you can still get all the skills you need. And it goes back to the point that uh, I mentioned before that. You just need evidence that you can get
0: the job done. doesn't matter if it's an online degree or a real world degree. 100%. And not only does it not matter whether you get the education formally at a university and get the degree or do it online, from my perspective, the strongest way that you can present to me that you're a data scientist is outside of those completely. Mm. So you have a computer science background, say, um, like Sean did. And you say, okay, um, I was building this web app as a hobby or I was thinking about making this business or whatever. And then I realized I was going to need to have this, this, these data collected or there was this opportunity to use machine learning in my web app. And so I learned how to do it. I, you know, even outside of the of the structured path of a university program or an online course, you're going through Stack Overflow and GitHub repos and just figuring out how to do it and solving the problem that you're trying to do without anybody putting you on a specific path. Like that kind of, um, that kind of independence and that ability to, you know, to have the courage to believe that you could do something that you don't know how to do That is like the most amazing thing when when people can explain that to me in an interview. And I think that's what often makes somebody a really great data scientist. It's typically something that people develop on the job after years of experience. But there's no reason why you couldn't without any formal education in anything quantitative or computer science or anything. Like you could come from an arts background and just be curious and figure out yourself how to to create some data-driven application or model um, and that, to me, that, that courage, um, that independence is the most valuable thing.
1: Okay. I love, love that, that point. And with your permission, I would like to take it even further and say, if you don't have that, this might sound harsh and radical. You, I think it might be a good idea for you to consider leaving data science, leaving this field. In, and that goes for any field. If you want to become a master chef at a Michelin star restaurant and you don't have the curiosity to cook in your free time and to find new recipes and maybe learn a new style of cooking, you just want to be a chef, maybe you want it for the wrong reasons, right? Like if you really truly want something with your heart, it's going to be part of your nature. You're going to be curious about it. It's it's natural for humans to be curious about things that we care about. So. If if it happens that somebody wants a job in data science just because of the high salaries, or uh, just because you know that's what their friends have, or just because that's what the the new department their company is building, if it hasn't caught in your like attention so much, it hasn't caught in your your nature and your being so much that you're constantly curious about it, wondering what what else you can learn and maybe reading a little bit about it. It doesn't have to be huge investment time. It can be different for everybody. Somebody might be into, okay, um, what kind of apps I can use for my own uh, hobby websites? Or somebody might be curious, oh, what kind of um, research has been done at Facebook or or Google? Or somebody might be curious about uh, the top uh, visualizations that are published on Tableau Public. There has to be something uh, that is is catching you all the time that you're constantly um, progressing in. And that's a good indication that you're on the right path. If, if you don't have that, ask yourself why. Why don't you have that? Is it because maybe you're not allowing yourself uh, the room for that, uh, um, or the time or the room for that output and, and for that curiosity? Or is it simply because you don't really care? Like deep down, you don't really care that much about it. And then you might just be in the wrong field.
0: Strong point, but I don't disagree with you. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's hard to be sincere with
1: yourself. You know, that's one thing I've been learning over the past four or five months. Sincerity with yourself takes takes courage. And uh, it takes also like setting aside your ego, like, oh, I want to be paid a huge salary. Oh, data scientist is a great profession, or or whatever else in life you have to set aside your ego you have to have the courage and you you have to face your fears and but but sincerity with yourself is the first step to being sincere with others if you can't be sincere with yourself you're going to be insincere with others and who wants to live a life of lying you know lying to yourself to others even thing even though you're convincing yourself it's the truth but deep down somewhere you know that that part of you knows that it's not the truth so sincerity Seeking sincerity, I think, is, a,
0: is one of the ultimate journeys in life. Yeah, beautifully said. All right. So getting us maybe a little bit back on track, have we finished number four? We've made the point. Yes, we
1: have. Okay, nice. We have made the point. Um, myth number five won't be about a story, so I just wanted to recap. If you want to listen to any of those episodes, there are numbers 41 with Nick Zepeda, 297 with Ayo Delio de Bella, and 383 with Sean Casey. Um, myth number five, we kind of touched on it a little bit already. Um, it's about landing a job in data science takes years. The thing to keep in mind here is that a data scientist is, um, is a very unstructured um, profession at the moment. It's not like accounting where you know an auditor does this an accountant, a tax accountant does this, a financial accountant does this, a, 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 an inventory accountant, if that's a profession, does this. Like, There's certain types of accounting, there's certain things you need to know, there's a CPA exam um, that you need to pass, uh, and and other things, it's very structured. Whereas in data science, somebody who's called a data scientist in one company might be called a data analyst in another company. And in a third company, they might be called an insights analyst. Uh, somewhere else they might go to something else, moreover, a data scientist in company A does machine learning. A data scientist in company B does data visualization. A data scientist in company C uh, does research. You know, like it's very, there's no clear cut way of well, what is a data scientist and what does this profession mean? So don't get caught up on going for the title, I have to be a data scientist, right? Look at the job description. What are you actually going to be doing? Maybe the title is business intelligence analyst, but you're actually going to be doing what you want to be doing. Or it might be a graduate analyst or a junior data scientist or uh, a machine learning engineer, AI specialist. So there's lots of different titles. And while um, it might be um, more challenging to get a data scientist role at your particular company that you're interested in, maybe you can start in a a different role they call an insights analyst. Basically, um, if you're finding that it's it's complex to get a specific type of job, open up your horizons, broaden your view, and look at other options. Like for instance, I was my story, I was a graduate analyst when I joined Deloitte. Then I was promoted at a data analyst. Then when I two years later went into the industry, into the financial industry, into a superannuation company, which is the Word for pension in Australia, pension mm-hmm. company. Um, I started as an insights analyst there. Uh, and even though I wanted to be a data scientist, you know, I was like, oh, wow, that would be cool. Uh, but uh, at the time, it w- I was like, okay, I'll, I, I will. I think at the time, I wasn't even too fast about data scientists um, because it w- hadn't explored that much. So I started as an insights analyst. But then at some point, I was like, okay, I want to be a data analyst. What I did is, this wasn't even a year into my role there i went and i negotiated with my manager uh after of course proving that i can do work did some great projects and after that i went and negotiated. i didn't negotiate for salary i didn't negotiate for you know um benefits or other things like that. i just said hey i would like to change my title from insights analyst to data scientist and here's why these are the things i've been doing Uh, You only have one insights analyst in the company, which is me. uh, And maybe we can change the name of the role. What's that going to cost you, right? Like no no big deal for your company. They thought about it. They're like, yeah, sure. So they officially changed my title to data scientist. Boom. There there you go. (laughs) I didn't even have to apply for a data scientist job, just negotiation inside the company. So every story is different. And uh, there's lots of ways it the point is you want to get into the field of data science you don't necessarily want to land a data scientist job because they might all be called differently
0: perfectly said I agree on everything. you have a open and shut case here, Kirill, on your five myths so
1: yeah but I wanted to ask you you're you're um you know like a director of data science right um, yeah what kind of like what do you guys call your uh like the most junior level of data scientist at Untapped?
0: Um, yeah, so my so I've been the chief data scientist at Untapped for six years. And um the most junior role well, I mean I guess it depends on how you define it, <laughs> right? So <laughs> um you know, we I've hired two data scientists now. Uh, where data scientist was their first job? Actually, mm-hmm. whoa, whoa! Every single person I've hired is a data scientist. It was their first data science job. Wow, um, that's awesome. Yeah, I hadn't even. That what even what was? Me.
1: What, but uh, but John, they don't have any data science experience. Why did you hire them?
0: <laughs> they were obviously awesome. Like you know, I did so, the, and they all have you know. Everyone has a different background, but it was obvious that they already were a data scientist, that they deserved that title. So um, uh, one of them, he already had a 20 year career working as a software engineer at yep. uh, J.P. Morgan mm-hmm. and also at a hedge fund. And then he took a 12 week or 16 week data science bootcamp full time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, all of those things that that brief experience in the boot camp where you're kind of you're thrown in, you know, that's kind of like your uh, 99 days curriculum where you really throw people in the deep end and you, uh, you know, you have them go through these structured weeks. But you also have those 20 years of experience doing software development, which is highly relevant. Uh, you know, we're, uh-huh. we're putting machine learning algorithms into production systems. And so he's hugely valuable every day across our application in terms of systems architecture, backend engineering, but he wants to be a data scientist. So as much as possible, you know, he's training models and generating visualizations and he gets to do more, he does more and more of that all the time. Um, another data scientist, he was working in hospitals Uh, As something called a neurophysiologist. So supporting surgeons when someone's having live brain surgeries. And so this is a highly technical person. He already had a master's in biomedical engineering and he was, uh, while doing this neurophysiology, uh, supporting surgeons, which is also, you know, you're monitoring data, collection hardware, you're looking for patterns in data. There's a, you know, there's a data science element to that work mm-hmm. and in real time where people, someone's life is online. So it's like mm-hmm. serious data science in a, in a, in a way, right? Um, and he was moved at, like in the evenings taking the Georgia Tech Masters in Computer Science, specializing in AI, which is like an extremely inexpensive formal education uh, option that you can do online. And also because that was kind of more focused on the theory He was also, he did lots of Udacity courses, getting hands-on experience with projects and that kind of thing. And he did some volunteering at a company that was recycling fabric. So building like computer vision systems to be able to recognize different recycled fabrics. And he's just, he did that as a volunteer project to get a foot in the door as a data scientist. So here's- you know
1: to, To your point of like extra curiosity, extra interest, you know, something outside your normal job.
0: Yeah, exactly. So- you know, there's all these, and then, the, and then another one is like, you know, another a more traditional approach where doing a PhD in quantitative uh, a discipline. But even then, making sure that you're bolstering that formal education, you know, getting a PhD in a quantitative discipline, okay, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually ready to be a data scientist. Uh, so on the side, he was doing his own projects, self-starter projects, um, taking courses online, like Udemy courses, getting familiarity with modern data science with a modern data science stack, and doing his own projects, self-driven projects. And so, in all of these cases, so three examples, right? But three completely different examples of people getting their first data science job, getting that title um, from different kinds of backgrounds.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, very, very interesting. Um, and. Um, it also goes out there's maybe managers and entrepreneurs listening to this. Uh, you can get really qualified talented people to do data science work at your company, even if they don't have a data science experience, right? Like I think it's uh, it's uh, like a handicap that you're putting on yourself if you're only looking for people who've been in data science who have data science experience. You need to also open up your uh, horizons and and look for people who who are just passionate and who can get the job
0: done. 100%. I mean, I guess in a way, all words are made up, but data scientist is also, it's a recently made up word and it's so nebulously defined. You gave the perfect example there of, you know, accountancy, having very specific uh, credentials that you need to have to do that or like nursing, you have to very specific credentials. Um, but in data science, no such thing exists. And the the whole title... Like, as you say, like at different companies, it can mean completely different things. And so even though the word data science was coined, you said around 2010, people have been doing data science work for decades, maybe centuries. Like if you were, you know, a hundred years ago, you could have been collecting data and building a model, um, using Mm -hmm. a, and then studying it with a T-test, and mm-hmm. hand drawing a chart and getting that published, and you were a data scientist a hundred years ago. Yeah yeah? yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Actuaries have been around for for centuries. I, I don't remember, but um, when? And that was it—the nineteenth century or seventeenth, maybe nineteenth. Uh, the first insurance company was formed in the UK. I think it was like uh, a church, like a church insurance company, or something like that. Um, and they had to calculate you know, the li- likelihood that people will die at a certain age and so on. So actuaries have been around for a long time. And that's another form
0: yeah, of data science. predictive so. model, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. So these are the five things that you need uh, to get. Whether you get them through uh, our challenge, which you can find at sciencecom slash challenge, or uh, whether you put them together on your own. From my experience, I think these are components for success and maybe you're missing one of them in in your preparation for a data science career so uh, you can augment it with that number one is you need a plan like a weekly plan and you need to stick to it data science is very broad and you can easily get sidetracked into focusing on one thing or looking at one example or uh, reading one book for too long and you'll get sidetracked get off track and you will um just maybe get discouraged because so much time has passed and you're not making progress. Uh number two is you need top notch content. You need five star content. There's lots of content out there. Uh there's lots of people putting content out there, which is good in general for people to share their thoughts and ideas uh and uh, help because maybe you know somebody's good at something that other people aren't, but you need to not get lost again, not get overwhelmed by all of this content. Uh, and find one, two, maybe three uh, reliable sources. Okay, my machine learning tutorials, I'll get here. My visualization, ideas, and tutorials, I'll get here. Um, th- thoughts on how to clean data, I will get over here. Or, you know, the quest questions, uh, I'll look at questions people ask and the answers they've got. So have those uh, sources um, identified because otherwise you're going to end up uh, looking all over the place all the time trying to find content and it's just, it just makes your life easier and less overwhelming. If you know where you need to go, when you need to, um, study a certain thing. Um, the next step three is you need projects to build your portfolio. This is very important for landing the job because yeah, because, uh, you, you cannot demonstrate the capacity to deliver on result on the projects that you will be doing if you don't have any of that evidence to show. And if you're building a portfolio of projects, that's gonna help you. So for instance, you can build a portfolio of projects on GitHub. You can build a portfolio of projects on Tableau Public. You can build a portfolio of projects even on LinkedIn, sharing your work. You can build it on Medium. You can build it on your own website. There's lots of ways you can post your projects. And the important thing here is try to combine this, that your, oh, another place is Kaggle. You can post your projects on Kaggle. You can do projects there. But try to combine that your content, what we talked about in uh, the second point with this third point, that your content provider, uh, whoever you're taking courses from, wherever you're finding them, is already including bespoke projects, not your typical um, Titanic data set or Virginica Satosa that's been, you know, analyzed for for decades and, you know, has been seen millions of times. Interesting stuff, you know. What is the NBA doing? What's uh what are the top movies on rotten tomatoes? I don't know, like what's happening with different economical indicators, economic indicators for different countries. You know, projects like that. Uh something maybe you're passionate about. Maybe you collect butterflies, create your own projects on or you like you look at butterflies, create your own pro- project about butterflies and there's types and get the data and try to understand that. Or, you know, uh, there's be these this pandemic on COVID. Maybe you can get some data around that and analyze that. Maybe it's a small data set. Maybe it's a big data set. It doesn't matter, but it has to be fun and interesting for yourself and also for people that are going to be reading about it, that are going to be looking at it and understanding that, oh, wow, this person was actually interested in this and let's see what they found in this really cool data set. Yeah, I
0: think think you know from the things I've already been saying, like that can be everything. Like if you can demonstrate projects, you know, you have half a dozen or a dozen different projects and having these kinds of structured paths is helpful because it helps you figure out, okay, um, unless maybe you know, like you know like I only want to be doing computer vision and that's the only thing that matters to me and then okay, go do that. But often a really great approach is to use a structured program like the 99-Day Super Data Science Challenge and so that allows you to say, okay, we're going to have this vision project, language project, this visualization project and so you can focus on these different aspects to be like, you know, to be a a more well-rounded data scientist. So that might help you figure out what kind of data scientist you want to be, but also might uh, in- increase your your uh, job. Uh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely.
1: And I'd like to be uh, abs- fully transparent with everybody. So with the ninety nine days challenge on the Super Data Science, you don't, you won't get the content, you won't get the courses unless you're already signed up to Super Data Science or you have them on Udemy. So that is part of the Super Data Science membership. But what you will get is you will get this 30-day learning plan, absolutely free. You just go in, uh, put your email in, you get the 99-day learning path. Uh, Part of uh, some of the content that is referenced in the 99-day learning path is like reading materials or other courses or other videos out there which are available online for free. But you can also just take that learning path, and that's what we also encourage you to do if Super Data Science is not the place for you to learn. It's not something that you want to do. you can just find your own content. You can find um, providers on YouTube of uh, content. You can find courses, maybe you're already taking a course, maybe you're already signed up to some other platform and you can structure, you can complete, uh, complement that uh, learning path, uh, that, that 99 day challenge uh, with those, with the content that uh, you already have access to or, or you prefer. So no problem with that, um, the learning guide itself absolutely all yours to take um, at the 99 day challenge website.
0: That's cool. I actually, I don't know if we'd explicitly said that it's free. That's cool. I didn't even know that. I mean, obviously then, so you're, you know, suggesting this is, this is a specific Udemy course you could be watching or in the super data science platform, you could be watching this. And so that's kind of an easy way to follow up, but that's cool that you're making the 99 day uh, 30 page pack completely free. And then people can follow it in other ways. I didn't, I didn't uh, realize that. And so a related point in terms of a free resource that you can use to help you if you're looking for problems to solve, data sets, um, or example ways of um, solving problems that might inspire you for specific projects, I collect those on uh, on my personal website. So Johncron.com slash resources. Um, those kinds of things are available there for you if you're looking for something to inspire you or a data set to, ta- to tackle.
1: Awesome. That's really cool. John Cron dot uh, uh, com slash resources. And also, John has um, a YouTube series on machine learning fundamentals. You know, check that out. You know, That could be a good uh, way to get your content uh, on machine learning. And John's done, um, you know, in person talks, <laughs> conference talks, webinars, <laughs> podcasts, whatever you've not done, book, you've written a book. So, definitely a reliable source of content as well. So, there's lots of places, but you need to have this all structured. It shouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to go learn data science. What am I going to do today? It has to be like a structured plan to follow along and step by step. And you know, need to know where to get what.
0: Thank you. Okay. Thank you for, uh, <laughs> for mentioning some of my stuff. I appreciate that. All right, number four, number four, number four.
1: Number four. So the fourth thing that is needed is a pathway to specialize. As we discussed, you can't get all of the data science um, uh, like in your toolkit right away especially so you need to figure out what will you go into will it be machine learning will it be data visualization will it be data wrangling by the way John do you have any other like ideas cuz those are the three specializations we included in this 30 day guide cuz they seem like the most obvious ones do you have any other ideas of what people could specialize in uh
0: data wrangling data visualization machine learning machine learning and data yeah um those are good big ones. Um I mean there's modeling approaches other than machine learning, right? So mm. um you know so like what for example, statistical approaches to modeling mm. data oh, yeah. instead of machine learning. So um That's a good point. So yeah, so that's just another so maybe kind of machine learning more broadly is kind of like modeling data and that includes mm. like machine learning uh the kind of standard statistics that you learn about like um regression t-test but then also bayesian statistics would be part of that kind of modeling umbrella um i think those are pretty good those are pretty good as three main categories visualization modeling data wrangling um otherwise maybe
1: something to do with communication like being the person that like translates data insights to the business leadership
0: that's a cool one, for sure. That's a really great idea. Probably related to visualization. It's kind of oh, yeah. like... Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess there's, there's kind of things that, that maybe are less directly, this is definitely data science, but things like data engineering. So, you know, mm-hmm. learning how to, you know, having a, an intimate understanding of how to build pipes in a back end to allow data mm-hmm. flows to happen and and models to be deployed. So this is kind of like, that's, you know... I call that a full stack data scientist if you can deploy your model into production yourself, you know you so mm-hmm. there's this that kind of like software developer focused data scientist um is maybe another place, and then I don't know, even like management, so maybe that's kind mm-hmm. of so a data science manager um is a kind of a specialization where it'd be pretty rare to start there, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um it might happen like there might be some scenario where you know, you have a huge amount. In fact, I do know people that this has happened to. So I know people who have been a consultant and an economist, and they, you know, they're a relatively senior person, they move into data science as like a data science manager, maybe they wouldn't be able to get into the weeds in a huge amount of detail with the people that report into them. But they're really great at at problem solving and managing the corporation and getting projects done. So I don't know. There's a couple more ideas.
1: That is interesting because uh, a lot of a lot of the time, I find data scientists as they grow, they're kind of pushed into management, like nudged. Hey, maybe you should be a manager now. But they really like the technical side of things, and then management is a whole different story. You know, managing people. Then uh, I think I think you talked about this with Eric Green on the podcast. Like you don't have much more time left to to now do the data science work yourself. So you have to kind of like split your time in half. When will I do the technical stuff? When will I do the managerial stuff? Uh, so maybe there is room for people who are experienced managers to just learn the nuts and bolts of data science and bring their managerial skills from a different field
0: into data science. I think there's definitely. I mean, I've seen success in people doing that. Um, another, as you were just speaking there, I had another couple interesting ideas of kind of like data science specializations. So an, one of increasing importance is ethics. So people Mm. specializing in um, issues around bias in algorithms, um, AI ethics. So that's something that's kind of growing and can be separate. Um, And, you know, so people maybe with more of a policy or governance background could be really useful in that kind of data science specialization. Um, And then also, yeah, I mean, kind of just more generally, like you, like people, so you can end up having people in data organizations so they can be data leaders without really being data scientists at all so if you think about like a chief data officer mm-hmm. they're kind of they're responsible for maybe procuring data sets externally and managing um, the administrators that maintain the databases but they're not uh, necessarily uh, they, they don't necessarily ever do any modeling or visualization themselves so i don't know just a few other specializations mm-hmm. that come to mind
1: If anybody listening to this manages to take the 99 day challenge and become a chief data officer, please email us, let us know. That would be really cool. Like just starting into the field and straight to chief data officer.
0: (laughs) I mean, there must be more junior data officers too. Like, you know, like, I guess, like, I guess that's kind of like a database administrator kind of role. Um, Data custodian. Data
1: custodian. Yeah. We had I think we had a role like that, one of
0: the company. oh yeah, really.
1: Yeah, like at the Super Company. Okay, so uh one last one, right? Number five. Last one. Um very important. Have a career preparation checklist. People, a lot of people go through, all right, I'm gonna learn data science. I spend ninety-nine days or 150 or six months, whatever. Then they're like, Okay, I'm ready. I got this under under the hood, I've got the—I um, don't even know if that's a saying. Under the hood, I've got this under my belt. I've, I've got know. all the data skills. I've got the—you um, know—the projects, my portfolio, and so on. Now I'm going to start looking for a job, and then the whole process starts. You know, from there, looking for a job. Why not combine? That's the best way to do it. Like spend two hours, two and a half hours learning data science a day, and thirty minutes doing something for your career. You know, like there's things like reaching out to recruiters, reaching out to people in the industry, networking with people, attending events, attending free conferences, attending paid conferences, um, uh, do, updating your CV and especially LinkedIn, uh, putting content out there, commenting on other people's posts, uh, looking at uh, jobs uh, and t- comparing job descriptions to the things that you're learning, looking at different types of job descriptions, uh, looking, you know, comparing them against each other. Um, a lot, a lot of it is about networking and getting yourself out there because I think there's a statistic, uh, it's quite old. I don't know if it's still the case, but I'm pretty sure it is that 70% of jobs get filled before, without being advertised, like through connections, through networking. Um, and only 30% are like direct, okay, apply here, here's the resume and so on. So that is also, it also has its, uh, room, but the more of these things you do along the way, you have 99 days, right? So you can get a lot of this stuff done. You can get a lot of groundwork, um, make cover a lot of ground. So by the time you get to you know, day 85 or day 80, you already have um, all these connections. You already have some people uh, interested in your work, some people following you. Uh, you're answering some questions, some people answering your questions. Um, and then it's much easier to go and like, land a job or see what uh, what opportunities exist. And moreover, new opportunities will open up. Right, like If you just start looking for jobs at the 99 day mark, like from day 100 onwards or whenever you're ready, you're going to find jobs that are available then. But if you're looking for jobs along the way, you'll have more exposure and you would have seen more jobs that pop up and disappear and you will know what to expect and what, what you personally are interested in the most.
0: Got a question for you, Kirill. What's the difference between number one the plan and number five the yeah. checklist?
1: um number one, the plan is um it relates to both the content part, like what you want to learn and number um and also the career. so you need to have a plan for both the uh, the career preparation checklist is the is kind of like to reiterate the specific steps that you need to uh, follow um and include in your plan
0: yeah must yeah, it must just be yeah. It's just we're like this, so distinguishing clearly, like the plan and the checklist. The checklist is because that's the checklist is like making sure that you've executed on the steps on your plan or like. Well,
1: let, let's call it this way the plan is uh, which content am I going to learn? Uh, okay, I want to do intro to data science, basics of visualization, coding for data analytics, whatever data visualization. That's like you, you need to write out predominantly. Um, what What are you going to study, and in which order? whereas the career prep checklist has nothing to do with content, it's all about your career steps. Uh,
0: nice. I got you. yeah, right, thank you. Um, no worries. Um, that sounds brilliant i i I am you know, I was convinced before we even got into all of this level of detail, as I said at the onset of this episode, as soon as you mentioned to me that it could be possible to get a data science career in ninety nine days these kinds of steps that you've outlined, um, over the course of this episode are the kinds of things that immediately came to mind for me as a way that you could do it. And I think it's brilliant that you've gone through it in all this detail. I think it is awesome that you've set it up in a way that people can just go to superdatascience.com slash challenge and download the guide for free. Uh, it's, it's really brilliant. Um, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add before I ask you for a book recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to add that there's a saying,
1: success is 80% psychology, 20% mechanics. So how you do something is less important than the reason behind why you're doing it. So before jumping into all of this, make sure you have your why very well identified that there's a reason why you're doing this. And it's a strong reason that speaks uh, to your heart, right? Maybe you want to change the world. Maybe uh, you want to change your life circumstances. Uh, maybe this is something you're passionate about. Um, set have the reasons why identified set yourself up for success by outlining this, these steps that you're going to take. Like, Take take a day, take two days, take a week if you need to, just to prepare for this journey, for this challenge, or however you're going to do it. Don't just rush into it um, and, and get lost and get overwhelmed. But set yourself up for success by doing some prep work first. Um, and then come the mechanics. And then just execute. Execute for 99 days, or if you have less time, for 150 or 300 days. But execute. But if you get those two things right at the start, if you get the psychology right and the vision, the the strategy, the preparation in the first few days, then it'll be much easier to execute, and you will have you'll have a target that you you want to hit, and it's just a matter of um, putting in the in the in the work to get there.
0: Beautiful message and so important. You need to have the why for sure. Do be sure. Hopefully lots of people who've been listening to the podcast have developed their wise, but get to check in on yourself and make sure. All right, Kirill, you know, the last question, what's your book, book recommendation? recommendation? Um, amazing book. I'm listening to
1: audible right now. Uh, it's, um, he's listening audible. to it right now as he's doing the podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe he's, when you're listening he's to done this, I'm so, listening. To the book. He's done so many podcast episodes uh yeah. so Kirill had done 431 podcast episodes um before before I took over at the beginning of this year and uh so yeah. he can just go on automatic pilot this whole time that, that he's been doing the podcast he's been listening to a book
1: yeah <laughs> I wish you're getting there as well what are you on like episode uh, 40 almost or around 40.
0: So. Uh well I have to do some subtraction, but uh yeah.
1: I think Mission we're learning.
0: Uh, we've recorded more than 40 now, yeah.
1: Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Congrats. Congrats, man. How do you feel?
0: It definitely gets easier. I mean, I was never stressed out about it, but I you know, I always you did a really great job of coaching me. grill created for me. There's no way the audience would know this, but I don't I can't, I don't know off the top of my head. My head. How long the document is? This handover document that's like twenty pages, and oh. I I remember when he sent it to me, he spent like a weekend making this document, and then it took me like a yeah. day to read it and go over everything and understand. That there's a huge amount of process um, that goes on behind the scenes to create to create those well oiled episodes that you experience. There's so many steps that Kuril had mastered over the years, and he conveyed those to me and. You know, I learned from him for a few episodes. I learned from you, Kirill, and you made it easy. I was, there was never any point. Maybe he actually, the only time I was nervous was mm-hmm. the very first one when you and I co-hosted an episode. Um, so that one with aired Sheffried. at the end of December with Shafri Bahar, and mm-hmm. uh, that was the only time that I showed up and I had kind of like butterflies. <laughs> but it's been it's been smooth sailing, and it gets gets easier. The team that you the production and editing team, the management team that you put together makes it so easy. They're, they're utmost professionals, unbelievable. And they just, being the host of the show is a piece of cake. Thank you. Thank you for the
1: kind words, John. And also uh, on behalf of our listeners, students, I want to thank you too. You're you know changing lives. You're helping thousands of people every week. Uh, you're putting in your personal time into this. Um, and you know, that's, that's worth a lot. So
0: thanks a lot. It is a huge joy to be able to do this. It is an honor. So thank you. Awesome. Uh, and thank you everyone in the audience for allowing me to have, I'd probably, even if you weren't there, I'd be sitting here doing this episode with Kirill and we'd just be (laughs) sending it into the ether and no one would listen. It's so much fun to do. So it's, you know, to have people actually be out there listening and, to reach out to get these messages that people share on on social media, and um, yeah, it's it's absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much, Kirill, for the opportunity. All right, anyway, let's get to your book recommendation. Book recommendation.
1: I'm going <laughs> to <laughs> show it on the on the video version. Uh, it's called "The Courage to Be Disliked." Can you see there?
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Okay, so it's a book that was originally, originally written in Japanese. Uh, it's called The Japanese, or oh, the subtitles, The Japanese Phenomenon That Shows You How to Free Yourself, Change Your Life, and Achieve Real Happiness. Uh, it's been translated into English, not into many languages. I wanted to get a copy in Russian to give to my mom, uh, but unfortunately, it's not available. Mm. Maybe somebody will translate it. Um, it's uh, sold 3 million copies. The authors are Ichiro Kishimi and Fumitake Koga. Um, amazing book. I'm about halfway through it. It's I think it's about eight hours long. If you listen to it on Audible, um, and it talks about uh, Adlerian psychology. So the psychology we are familiar with in the world is by um, mostly by Freud and his student Jung. Well, Freud had a contemporary called Adler, and Freudian psychology is you look at the past. You know, somebody is sitting at home, is has social phobia, can't go out. Well, they probably had a trauma in the childhood. Maybe their parents were abusive or very controlling or very manipulative or something like that. So Freudian and Jung psychology tend to look at the past to look at the trauma that happened so that you can get in and help a person resolve that trauma to be able to move forward. Adler, on the other hand, is less well-known. But I find his principles, the ones described in the book, very interesting because they look at the future they say that the reason for anything happening now is an objective that you have set yourself in the future and the example of somebody sitting at home and having social anxiety on not wanting to go out go out as controversial as it might sound in adlerian psychology would be explained that that person is doing that because they have some objective in the future and um what objective might they have? Well, let's look at how how will this person par- person's parents feel if this person is sitting at home and is not able to go and socialize. Per- that person's parents are going to be worried and they're going to show him attention or her attention and they're going to uh, want, want them to be better and they're going to check up on them. And so they will be getting attention, and love in a certain way and care uh, from the, their parents. If they were to go outside, then they will become... Um, average or even less than average out there. And uh, their parents would be happy that they're out finally. And so they wouldn't be fulfilling this objective of attention from their parents. It's all, of course, not conscious, it's subconscious. Mm -hmm. uh, But the point is that Adlerian psychology, in my perspective, allows you to address some of your issues as, as more of a choice rather than a consequence of the past. That you can if you really think about it, in my view, I'm not a psychologist, and I don't want to undermine anybody's problems anybody I know people are going through difficult things at uh, different times, but according to Adlerian psychology, what i my takeaway was that is that anything any problem that I have you know for instance, I'm more introverted or that um I don't like big crowds or that uh, I don't know like I, I have some fears, I can address them by. Thinking about what objective is that helping me fulfill in the future. So I just need to ask myself, is that objective valid? And how can I make a choice, a conscious choice now to change my life in the future so that this can I can rid myself of these fears, anxieties, and worries uh, or control, controlling aspect of my personality or whatever else. Um, and it 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 allows me more, I think it gives me more hope and control that I can change, that I can be better. And it makes a lot of sense. The book is structured in an interesting way. It's a conversation between a youth, like a you know, a young teenager or a, I don't know, a young person in their 20s with a philosopher who follows Adlerian psychology. And he's constantly challenging the philosopher, and the philosopher is always constantly explaining. Um, all these questions that I would have had if I were reading this book or studying a theory psychology myself. Long rant about it, but it's it's a book that's been one of the top books I've read in the past years. I highly recommend to anybody who's interested in psychology and bettering.
0: Psychology. Well, it sounds great. I am really interested to read that because something that I, I mean, as you know, and listeners who maybe listened, especially to episodes that aired in January, February, I guess uh, I talked a lot about meditation. And one of these th- th- the thing that you're describing here this <clears throat> I often have this sensation, this um this realization that so much of what I do is driven by a desire to be liked, to do the thing that I like to meet others' expectations. Mm. And um I don't know if that's exactly what this book is about, but that's, it's
1: it's a big part. it's the book says, they're being recognized by others should be zero of your concern. Zero. That is the responsibility of others. That is a task. They call the word task of us. Your task is you may want to be, it would be your task is like not wanting to be disliked. Yeah, Everybody wants to be like, but whether other people like you or not, not your problem. And the way we raise children in our society is like, okay, so if you do your homework, you're going to get, you know, time to play computers or you're going to get uh, you know some treat. If you misbehave, you're going to be punished or you're not going to be liked. I'm not going to like you as a parent. That is, according to Adler, that was one of the biggest, like a huge flaw in society mm. that we bring up young little people. We grow them into big people with this whole notion that you need to be doing right things to be liked by your parents. Otherwise, you're going to be disliked. So we bring that into our adulthood and that's what we portray. Like I find myself very often people pleasing, right? Like I want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to like me. And often it comes at the detriment of my own well being or my own, you know, needs and desires. And, um, and Adler was a huge, uh, like hugely against that, hugely opposed to bringing kids up like that. And, and uh, this book gives you some of the answers on how you can combat in yourself if you're seeing that trait.
0: Sounds huge. All right. What a great way to end the episode. I'm, I'm sure that tons of content in this episode will resonate with listeners. And that's just one more piece. Can
1: I I just repeat the name of the book just so people might be missing? It's called The Courage to be Disliked.
0: The Courage to be Disliked. Great. Thank you so much, Kirill, for coming back on the Super Data Science Podcast. I can't wait to have you on again soon. Um, Obviously, you and I will be in touch and I'm sure it'll be uh, no time before you're back here again and sharing your pearls of wisdom with us.
1: Thank you very much, John. I appreciate you having me and even more so, I appreciate you hosting all these episodes. I've listened to a couple of them. It's always a lot of fun to hear how you're interviewing us. Thanks a lot.
0: You're most welcome. All right. Catch you later. See ya. I hope you had a lot of fun catching up with Kirill in this episode. He's such a wise person. I personally always gain so much from my conversations with him. I hope you too learned a lot from Kirill, particularly about getting started in data science, as well as the psychology of career choices, such as the five myths that erroneously lead people to think that they cannot obtain a data science job. At the end, we wrap the episode up by getting filled in on the five things you need to land your first data science job. That's a plan, top-notch content, projects for your own portfolio, a specialization, and a checklist. To get you rolling on all five of these items straight away, you can check out Kirill's 99 day path to landing your first data science job at superdatascience.com challenge. As always, you can get all the show notes, including the transcript for this episode, the video recording, any materials mentioned on the show, and the URLs for Kirill's LinkedIn profile, as well as my own LinkedIn and Twitter details at superdatascience.com slash 471. That's superdatascience.com slash 471. I'm always delighted to meet listeners, so please do connect and feel free to tag me in posts with your thoughts on the episode. Your feedback is invaluable for figuring out what topics we should cover on the show next. All right, thanks to Ivana, Iima, Mario, and JP on the Super Data Science team for managing and producing a very special episode today. Keep on rocking it out there, folks, and I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science podcast with you very soon.